Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast channel that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. This is part two of a two-part series on Space Reimagined, Verizon's Transformation. Featured in this session are Josh Lair, a director in CBRE's Global Workplace Solutions Group and the Verizon Account Lead. Josh will be speaking with John Vasquez and James DeSignan of Verizon. Shifting the discussion a little uh, away from strategy to uh, change management, I know a lot of our listeners are probably thinking, okay, you know, how do I get this done? I, you know, this sounds great. Um, so, John, when we first approached you uh, with the, the business case for, for this, um, you gave us a green light to do a couple. I'm wondering, uh, from change management, there's different levels of change management. There's there's executive level buy-in, <clears throat> then there's business unit leadership buy-in, and then there's business unit end user, right? Um, how the start at the very top? How did you or did you need to go to a senior executive leadership and say, hey, we want to we want to try this program? Uh, here's what we're thinking. Did you have to sell it up? Yeah. I, uh, yes. So, <laughs> I, I think the 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 point is. Um, don't get too far away from your from your uh, corporate roots, especially from a financial perspective, on providing analysis. You know, the, the concept of flexible office, it all makes sense. It's all logical. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're looking to get executive leadership buy-in, don't think you're not going to have to sell a financial proposition on what that would be. And, and in very simple terms, the financial proposition was we would see a reduction in the total operating costs of that type of space by 50% or more. Um, so the question was, internally, are we ready for the change? Do we think the business unit's ready for the change? Um, but financially, it was self-evident that this would be a winner. But it's not a winner if it, if it disrupts the business in a, in a negative way. We don't mind disrupting in a positive way. So we consider this a positive disruption to the business. A negative disruption where they're unproductive wouldn't work. So once we had the financial case set, um, you know, working with with, uh, with you and, and the whole team, it was really about how do we make sure, how do we guarantee success? That's where the change management comes in from a business perspective and a personal perspective. Change management process, uh, from our perspective, has been the key to our success in delivering both the FOS program and ABW. Without the change management, without the three to four months working with the clients up front, actual planning and programming and explaining and detailing what will happen to them and why, um, and also getting input from them as to how they work. You can, in my opinion, you can never be successful from a business perspective. I'll be successful financially. I know that'll work. But I, you can almost be guaranteed within a year or two, you'll probably be going back to the way you had it before. So you'll have missed a great opportunity right. uh, to do that. So the financials matter. Uh, the real estate advisory really matters. Working with the right partners to make it happen really matters. So due diligence uh, is key to that as well. That's great. And, and so building building off that, uh, maybe I'll turn to Jim. Uh, Jim, how do you how do you approach the business unit side for change management? Did you you go top down, bottom up, both? How do you approach that? Yeah, I think we um, first of all we we brought in some experts. Right, we have we have some teams or we have a team of change management experts within the organization that. We brought over into the program for to assist us, and the the people that were executing these these new locations um, utilized these experts, and they they met with the uh, local management, 
so this middle level, along and with the uh, the occupants. And there was a series of meetings, right? First conceptual, then more detailed on exactly what's going to happen to them. And that was that was important for the first several. And then what we found was once we had a couple successes out there, you know, it was accepted, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The business groups, sales organization is a national organization, and they said, hey, if it works in New York, it'll work in Phoenix. Right. So we'd, we'd have to kind of bring them along. We still brought them along and, and educated them on what was going to happen to them, but less requirement as far as bringing along the middle management on buy-in on the concept because building on success was, was key for us. Um, we had a couple early transactions that uh, that really kind of greased the skids going forward. I would say Jim's yeah. being a little humble here. The business group were, were calling him saying, when do I get mine? <laughs> uh, which is which is a, a great that, yeah. is a great problem to have yeah. when the business becomes impatient and they want the new model. Yeah, um, that was both for Foz as a leading edge. So Jim's team really led uh, led in getting that change management going, and it really bled into the EBW program, which is took a little longer to implement. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of work that was spent uh, you know, developing these programs internally, and don't and I would say don't underestimate the change management you need to do with your own real estate team. Yeah. Who's not used to delivering space as a service, meaning as a third party, yeah. but as a captive. Uh, it's a very different approach, so much more of a hospitality I think that's, that's an excellent point. It's actually my next bullet, so great cue in. Oh, good. Um, so, so, you know, it's definitely impacted internally with the process. So, Jim, maybe just briefly talk about how you had to manage your transaction team's process, maybe how strategic planning was thinking yeah. about how they provision space. A lot okay, of I'm, I'm still managing my internal processes. <laughs> I think the change management internal to my organization was right. as difficult or more than, than externally. Because yeah. um, for, for an external, somebody who's being impacted by it, it's pretty straightforward, right? Your workspace is changing and, and conceptually they get it. But when you, when you think about what happens internally, you're changing a whole thought process of, of executing um, space, right? You have people that for 20 years have been doing site searches for leases, lease analysis, lease negotiation, mm -hmm. and then, you know, move management into space and design and construction, all of those things that are normal. And you basically create a whole new option for them. Right. And getting across the um, the idea that this is an, is an option, it's an alternative that they have. Just like, uh, you know, they may have two leases as alternatives. Well, this is a third alternative. It's not really a lease. It's it's space that you can walk into, largely turnkey. The the way to execute on the contract is completely different. You're not negotiating a lease every time. Um, there's a lot of differences that that uh, that we had to explain, train, and try to change a, a mindset. And we're still working on it. Um, deals come across where um, even today that they um, have to question: Did you fully vet? The, the ability to go into a flexible work environment in this for this particular case. And I still kept my team. You know, they said, oh, I didn't think it was applicable. So, mm. Well, it's, it's a mindset that doesn't change overnight. So it's, yeah. it's one of those things that um, uh, it'll, it'll get there, but uh, change management is a process both on the internal and, and external. You can't, you can't ignore it. Yeah, no, I think that can't be under, understated. Uh, well, I think that's a good segue into implementation. Um, as your team ramps through this, uh, we're about a you know kind of a year and a half plus, almost two years into the program. But 
can you talk about scale and, and um, where you're at today and kind of how quickly you scaled up that? Sure. When, when we started the program, we created the initial business case. As I said, we, we kind of looked at it as a small office initiative. We, so we looked at all of our offices that were, say, less than 20,000 square feet that were expiring in the next three to five years and saw that as our opportunity set. That was maybe 100 locations that we were um, targeting. And, you know, over the first year and a half, you know, those that were coming up for renewal were all evaluated. Um, some we renewed in place, considering that, um, determining that a traditional lease was, was appropriate. And some we, we transitioned to flexible office. And that, that hit ratio was maybe 50%, 60%. Um, so we've executed on 17 locations so far. Right. I think the the numbers add up to about what three million dollars in spend annually for those 17 locations. As John said, our business case was um, promising a 50% savings, and we we exceeded that. We're right. we're over 60% in savings in those initial sites. Uh, that's great. It's it's great when a business case uh, comes to fruition and you know better than expected, right? Um, so, so we've got scale. You said about 16 locations in the first year, year and a half, which is a, a tremendous clip. Um, did you, uh, do you do you see that kind of pace continuing into the next two year two and year three? Um, any reason that should slow or speed up? No, I think you know, the pipeline of the original hundred that we looked at um, was kind of evenly spread over the five years. So we we expect that um, we'll continue to add uh, sites as appropriate to the program. I think what's uh, what's different today than what we envisioned um, a couple years ago when we developed the case was um, the original thought being small offices were what were most appropriate, but I think we're rethinking that to maybe larger offices can be appropriate. And, and that really depends a lot on how the service providers uh, provision space for larger larger blocks of space. Both Regis and, uh, and WeWork, the two biggest players in the space, um, are trying to grow their enterprise business mm -hmm. for larger clients. Mm -hmm. And how they do it, whether they can uh, maintain the same value proposition when you get over 100 people at a location, is something we're, we're going to need to see how that plays out. What is uh, the largest uh, location you have today? Because it sounds like you, you're targeting yeah, well, small. Yeah, I guess we already have sites that are over 100. Um, I think New York's 120 or so. Um, but that, in, in our mind, was was pushing the top, but yeah. now that may not be the top. So it's, a, so it's almost 2.0, like a next generation for the strategy. Yeah, I think potentially. so. Were there any uh, technical hurdles? I know security is often an issue, um, um, technology, things like that, that we had to overcome. Yeah, it, the normal things. Um, security was definitely a, an issue. Um, but, you know, physical security is one thing, right, getting, getting our uh, – are people comfortable with the environment that they were moving into? We still put badge readers on on our private suites, um, but they are they are walking into an, an open shared environment uh, before that secured envelope. Um, IT security was a bigger issue, um, needing to uh, ensure that our network was secure within within a shared environment. Um, secure printing is one that we still haven't solved, um, and we we're still looking for a solution there. Um, but um, th these these are these are issues, and um, we just uh, solve them as they come. Yeah, and I know another shift in, in thinking is uh, thinking about uh, as you go free addressing, 
increasing the leverage ratio of seats per head count above 100%. So you may have 150% head to number of seats, um, but it can be a little tricky in a shared space where you don't really have control of, of utilization tracking. So have you been focusing on technology to help solve that kind of thing so you can fine tune that, that, that number? Yeah, definitely. You know, John, I mentioned uh, efforts within our own campuses in, in tracking utilization and we're experimenting with technology, but we're doing exactly the same thing in the flexible office environment, but in those cases partnering with uh, Regis and, and others to uh, have them try to solve, solve it for us because it's, it's, a, it's a common issue for any enterprise user. If, in order to see the most value, you have to maximize utilization. Um, so the way you maximize is to measure, and technology is one of those things. Yeah, I, th I think part of that whole, there's a lot of discussion around you know, tracking space and measuring utilization, and, and I think there's there has to be some acceptance of, um, I wouldn't say inaccuracy, but close enough. Mm -hmm. uh, because we we have locations where we are deploying sensors. Actually, we're actually building the sensors ourselves and using our own technology to to do that because we can do it you know less expensively. One of the great things about being have innovative company with some labs in it, <laughs> we have some really bright minds and say, oh, we can we can write that program in a few weeks and get some of these sensors going. Um, so they get excited by that, right? Because we want we want to see how we can leverage our network infrastructure. I think there has to be a measure of success. So if you go in and you say, well, this will provide a 50% cost benefit, and then we find out it's actually a 60% cost benefit, the next question should be, is the business productive? Do they find the spaces useful useful for them? And do they feel it's not that it's positively impacting them? And I think that should be the next question real estate asks, and it shouldn't be, are they showing up? What's the badge count? That should be the fourth or fifth question, right? Because once you've made that biggest shift culturally and from a change perspective, you need to go back to the business and keep your your check their pulse yeah. and make sure that they're they're doing okay. And we've been successful with that because we've kept that at the forefront. But a lot of times, from from our real estate mentality, we'll have to just keep measuring and measuring, right. and then and forget about optimizing it to the to the detriment of the business. The right? detriment of the business. So keep business focused, and if the the most successful plan is the one the business wants. Yeah. Uh, and that also satisfies our financial metrics. So that's that's where we we think we've been successful so far. Another another great example of uh, being business unit focused and not being centric on just driving out costs. I think it's a great point. You know, don't over try to, you know, uh, you've already got, got great economic benefit from this program. Trying to get the last drop of blood from the stone. Right. Make sure the business unit is happy and they're being productive and top line is growing and as a result of this. So... I think a great a great um, point made. So I think it's a great uh, segue. We're kind of up on time. So uh, we've discussed today's uh, Verizon's tectonic shift from a telecom to a tech and media company, what impact that has on the real estate portfolio and the real estate team. And we've dove into the flexible office program as a great case study to highlight your innovation. I'd like to mention that there's an academic case go that goes into much greater detail on these topics um, available both on the IESE Business School and a Harvard Business School case platforms later this fall. And I'd like to close uh, by once again thanking our guest speakers, John Vasquez and Jim Tesignant, for their great leadership, innovation, and for joining us to share their experiences on today's podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
This concludes the second part of the Cornet Global podcast on Space Reimagined, Verizon's Transformation. Want to record a What's Next podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.